This morning, I thought we would start a little series, just a four weeks on the book of Jonah, because this is such an incredible story, such a good story that we all learned when we were little kids. And, and I think the thing that we know the most about the book of Jonah is what? What do we know about the book of Jonah? The whale, the whale, of course. But the book of Jonah is only is 48 verses long. And the whale only shows up in three of those verses. This book is about so much more than just that whale, but man, does it make a good story. Reminds us of Pinocchio, reminds us of all these beautiful, fun stories. It is a fun, old-timey, old-world story, kind of with pirates and merchants and troubles on the sea and a massive whale that eats people. It's an incredible, fun story, But there's so much more to this story, right? This story becomes the backdrop. It inspires the the parable of the prodigal son and the father who has mercy on his son. And the other son says, why are you so merciful? This story is the backdrop for Jesus' own preaching about his death and resurrection. He says, don't you remember the sign of Jonah? This story is the backdrop for the stories of Jesus calming the seas on the water. For the New Testament authors and the early Christians, this story of Jonah was a sophisticated but short story that gave us a glimpse into who our God is. It's a beautiful story. It's a unique story. So I think it's worth taking a few weeks to take a look at the book of Jonah. Um, The book of Jonah is unique for a couple of ways. Number one, um, the book of Jonah is about a hero who cannot get things together. It's unlike any other book in the Bible. In this book, we have a hero that doesn't do anything right. All the other heroes of the Bible, they listen, and they might have some trepidation. And think about Gideon, think about Moses, but eventually they get on board. Jonah never gets on board, right? It takes a fish to spit him up, right, to get him to do the right thing. Um, Jonah is this anti-hero. The book of Jonah is also unique because it's the only book in the section that we call prophets or minor prophets, not that these prophets were like smaller than the other prophets, just their books were a lot shorter. All the other prophetic books were books written by the prophet, This book is not that way. This book is purely a narrative, purely a story, right? Jonah, actually, the Jonah the prophet, actually does show up in the Bible. He shows up in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 25. Um, And and there's just a quick verse there that says, And Jonah the son of Atatai, or Adelai, how do I pronounce that? Um, Amatai. Um, Jonah the son of Amatai prophesied to the king. That's all it says about Jonah in the whole book. So, uh, the whole Bible, really. So then the book of Jonah is a story. And it's as if someone chose to write a story about a relatively unknown prophet and asked the question, what would happen if someone absolutely did not do God's will? What would that look like? What if somebody didn't follow God's call? The author of Jonah, this book, the author of the story that we know, um, took tropes from other parts of the Bible. 
If you've been reading in our weekly or our daily Grow, Pray, Study guide, daily readings on the back of your bulletin, this last week you would have read the story of Elijah. And, and God calls out to Elijah and says, Elijah, get up and go to Zarephath. There is a widow there that needs your attention. The author of the book of Jonah takes those same exact words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to Nineveh. But in Jonah's case, Jonah gets up and does the exact opposite of what Elijah would do. It's an incredible story of kind of asking what would happen if a prophet did not do what God called them to do. Right? Later on in the book, um, Jonah will use the same words as Elijah as well. When Elijah is on the run and he says, I wish that I were dead, God comes to Elijah and says, I want to show you something. I want to care for you. At the end of Jonah's book, or the book of Jonah, Jonah says the same thing, and God has a lesson for Jonah. But we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Let's get into this story a little bit. So, Jonah is called to go prophesy to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Babylon. Oh, let me give you a little bit of dates of when this book was probably written. So um, the story, the Jonah the prophet, according to uh, 2 Kings, uh, probably lived around the time of 750 B.C., Okay, that would be about the time that that king ruled. So Jonah was in and around that time. This book, Jonah, the story, was probably written between 400 and 500 BC. So several hundred years later, right? So it would be as if we were choosing, as if we were choosing a, uh, I don't know, a character or a hero from uh, our history, like, I don't know, maybe Alexander Hamilton, and then decided to write a big musical play about him a couple hundred years later. We know that Alexander Hamilton did not sing and dance and rap his way through uh, politics, but the way the story is told gives us new insight. Same thing here We don't know if this story really happened to Jonah at all, but the authors take this story, take this unknown hero, and ask the question, what would happen if a prophet did not answer God's call? So, let's get into the story now. So, Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Babylon, uh, the perennial enemies of Israel, the people that will eventually come and conquer Israel. God says, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh. I've heard of the evil that they do. I heard of their opulence. I've heard how they do not care for their poor. I hear how harsh they are. Go and tell them that I'm the Lord and I'm about to deal with them. Jonah says, nope. (laughs) And he gets on a boat and he goes to a place called Tarshish, which is the most ridiculous word to say in the whole Bible. And he goes and he gets on a boat. He finds some merchants, he finds some pirates, he finds some sailors, and they're, fly, they're going to a different place. They're going to Tarshish. And on that boat ride, Jonah decides to go down into uh, the bunker and goes down into sleep, uh, down in the hole of the ship. And a storm comes. A storm comes. And everyone freaks out. Everyone freaks out. They start throwing cargo overboard. They know that this could be their death. And then they start to look around. They all, and they're they're not 
Israelites. They pray to other gods, but in this moment, they're going to pray to whatever God's going to listen, right? And so they all start praying, and they start asking each other, whose fault is this? It's an old, it's an old world story that it introduces an old world question in an old world story. Who is to blame for our troubles? What a common question. Anytime we find ourselves in plight, anytime we find ourselves on, on troubled seas, one of the first questions we got to ask is, who's to blame? Whose fault is this? It's usually people that I disagree with. It's usually people of another religion or another political party. It's usually people who are not like me. It is their fault. It is their fault. When we find ourselves in calamity, we always ask that first question, who's to blame? Whose problem is this? They go down, they go down and they find Jonah sleeping. They wake him up and they say, Jonah, what are you doing? Get up. Don't you care if we all die? Who is your God? Pray to your God. Here, this is kind of interesting. Jonah never prays in this story. Everyone else, the, the people who are not Hebrew, the people who, who, are, who are just searching for some kind of answer, they're the ones that are on their knees looking to the divine for help at all. When they pull up Jonah, who is a prophet whom God talked to directly, they say to him, what are you doing? Pray to your God. Maybe your God will help us. Jonah never prays to God. I think sometimes we, we uh, maybe feel down on ourselves when we don't pray in the good times and we, and we say, oh man, I'm, I'm the kind of person that only prays when trouble is, is happening. I'm the kind of person that only calls out to God when trouble is happening. But I think sometimes, sometimes when trouble's happening, we don't even remember to pray. We don't even think to pray. I've been in that boat. I've been in that boat when calamity is all around me and I don't know what to do and I, and I get nervous and then I'm filled with anxiety. I don't know what my next step is and, and it dawns on me, Rick, you haven't even prayed. You haven't even taken some time for you and God. You have not made yourself available to the God who is already active and present in this situation. Rick, are you awake? Sometimes I need to take a moment and awaken myself to God's presence even in the storms, even in the uh, calamity. Jonah never does this. He never prays. He never prays. So the, they don't, the, the sailors don't know the answer. They don't know why this is happening. They decide to roll the dice. The dice will tell us who's, who's to blame. They roll the dice. The dice fall on Jonah, and they say, Jonah, who are you? Where do you come from? What has happened? Jonah comes up with the answer, right? The next question, the next question that they ask and we often ask is who do we sacrifice? When we are in trouble, who's to blame and then who is expendable? Who can we sacrifice? When we are a nation that struggles with gun laws, and shootings, we ask ourselves, who's to blame? And then we ask ourselves, 
what is the price that we're willing to sacrifice to keep things the way they are? As humans, we ask these questions. Who's to blame and who do we sacrifice? Jonah has an answer. Jonah says, this is all happening because of me. So here's what you have to do. You must take me and throw me in the ocean. If you do this, things will be okay for you. I want to remind you something here. God does not say to do this. Jonah never prayed to God. This is Jonah's solution. Jonah's solution is sacrifice someone. Jonah's solution at least says sacrifice me rather than other people. But this is not God's plan. God never says kill Jonah. Jonah acting on his own acting on his own heart, on his own brain, says this is what we should do. Now, as readers of the story, we know that God does calm the seas after they throw Jonah off the ship, but that doesn't mean that this is what God wanted to happen. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So that's where we ended the reading this morning, but the chapter goes on a little bit longer. Um, The sailors look at Jonah. Jonah says, sacrifice me, and the sailors go, no, that's crazy. We're not going to do that. Instead, the sailors change who they pray to. They start praying to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and say, God, you know us. Help us. Save us. When it doesn't work, Jonah presses in on them and says, hey, if you guys want this to change, sacrifice me. Remember, Jonah isn't praying. He's not awakened to what God is doing in this moment. So the sailors, I think somewhat reluctantly, say, okay, into the drink with you, right? And they throw Jonah overboard. When Jonah is thrown overboard, the seas are calmed, right? And they start to make sacrifices of their own to the God of Israel. They repent and they make their vows to the God of Israel. Their hearts are changed. These sailors are saved to the God of Israel. Now, I think it's a beautiful story. I think it's an interesting story. And when I read this story, I'm immediately reminded I'm immediately reminded of the story of Jesus calming the seas, right? The same thing is happening. When Mark, Matthew, and Luke write the story of Jesus calming the seas, they use Jonah as a template. In Mark's gospel, he even says that um, the ship was about to break to pieces and everyone was frantic, but Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And I think I've got it in your notes in Mark 4:38 but Jesus was in the back of the boat sleeping on a pillow and they woke him up and said teacher don't you care that we're drowning the disciples in that moment were asking the question who's to blame about this and who do we sacrifice who's to blame and who do we sacrifice They go and wake up Jesus, and I imagine some of those disciples, knowing the story of Jonah, thinks, oh man, we're going to have to throw the master overboard, right? I imagine some of them think that. But Jesus gets up. Jesus doesn't say, this is because of this person's problem. This happened because you sinned. This happened because Jesus doesn't point the finger. There is no blame casting. 
Jesus instead says, let me show you who I am. I am the one that calms the storm. Jesus takes responsibility for the storm, and he speaks to the storm, and he calms things. He's the one that's able to calm the storm. And when Jesus calms the storm, he removes our need to blame one another, and he removes our need to sacrifice one another. No longer when we come into calamity or troubles should we automatically be people that seek to point the finger and blame. No longer when we come into rough seas do we start to look around and say, who's expendable? Who can we sacrifice? Instead, Jesus says, I will take responsibility for the troubled waters. I will take responsibility for this troubled world. I will take all responsibility for all things done wrong in this world. And on Jesus' cross, he takes responsibility for every wrongdoing that you've done, every wrongdoing that I've done, every wrongdoing in this world. And Jesus says, if you're going to blame somebody, if you're going to point the finger, blame me. I will take the blame for everything. And when Jesus takes the blame, he takes the blame away. And we have no right to blame one another. We are free. Jesus takes responsibility for all that is wrong. And in Jesus' sacrifice, he says, let this be the only sacrifice needed. Let this be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Stop killing each other. Stop sacrificing each other. I will end all sacrifice. And if you let me, If you let me, I will calm your storms. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. More than that, the winds and the waves, they know me. And I will calm your storms if you trust me. If you trust me. The scriptures give us a choice of how we will react. Will we react like Jonah, knee-jerk reaction, afraid, full of anxiety, accepting the, the old ways that we talk, full of blame, full of sacrifice, refusing to pray even in our darkest moments? Or will we take the posture of the disciples, listening to Jesus, who says, calm down, calm down, you've come to the right place, Let me calm the storm. Let me calm the storm. Jonah, Jonah is the anti-hero. Jonah is the anti-hero. Jonah does nothing right in this story. So everything that we do in every, over the next couple of weeks, everything that we see Jonah do, we should kind of hold in suspect and say, okay, this is a negative example for how we should live. Jesus takes Jonah's Jonah's negative example, Jonah's negative story, and says, this is who I am. I am the one that follows correctly. I am the one that does the right thing. I am the one that takes responsibility for the storm. I am the one that can calm your storms. Trust in me. No longer blame, no longer sacrifice. I like to end the sermons with a couple of next steps. What do we do with this information? How do we, 
How do we take this? I think the first thing to do is listen to God's call. What is God calling you to do? I don't think God is calling all of us to do everything, all right? We're not all called to do everything. There's a lot of stuff that we have to make decisions about, a lot of things that we can't do. But I do believe God is calling each of us to do something. This week, five of our members are down in Oaxaca, Mexico right now, continuing to build the church that we started building with them last year, continuing to distribute water filters, and continuing to perform eye exams for folks in some of the most in some of the poorest and most forgotten places in Mexico. God has called them, and they said yes. What is God calling you to do? It's not an easy question to answer without regular spiritual discipline, without regular times of listening to God, without regular times of praying, right? Secondly, repent. Repent when we've ignored Repent when we have said or or when we have not chosen to follow after God. Repent means to change your directions. Stop what you're doing and do something else, right? When God has called us to do something and we've ignored God, the call is to repent. Stop what you're doing and pay attention to God. It is what we are continually called to do as Christians, to change directions back towards God. Don't be like Jonah Don't jump out of the boat, (laughs) but turn to God. God, I've messed up. I turn to you. And then finally, stop blaming and sacrificing others. Stop blaming and sacrificing others. I think so much when we are in trouble, when we disagree on the way we should go as a country, the way we should go as a church, it's so easy It's so easy to create an enemy, right? It's easy. It's easy to um, it's it's easy to unify a group when you have a common enemy. I think sometimes we forget that those so-called enemies are our brothers and sisters. They are children of God, loved by God. And yes, there is trouble. Yes, there are problems. But we are not going to move forward by vilifying people that we just disagree with. Jesus says to us, we got, we got no reason to blame each other. We got no reason to sacrifice each other, to cut off relationships with each other just because we disagree, because we can't find common ground on a solution. Let's stop. There is so much good work to do. How do we trust Jesus to calm these seas and move us forward, move us forward. There's a country song that came out a little while ago. You guys might know it. It's called Jesus Take the Wheel. (laughs) Sometimes that's my prayer. Whenever I'm in a crowded room and and, uh, energy is high and, and, and tempers are flaring up, I always say, Jesus, take this wheel. It is getting crazy in here. I think sometimes we need Jesus to take the wheel of our ship. We need Jesus to take the wheel. God, calm us down. Help us to find a way forward. Calm these seas. We don't need to blame anyone any longer. Jesus, in his whole life, his whole ministry, 
is saying to all of creation, I know it is a rough world. I know that you've been hurt by sin, your own or someone else's. Jesus on the cross is God saying, I'm sorry, I love you. I take full responsibility. Jesus, risen from the dead, says, I have the power to make all things right. I have the power to calm the seas. Trust in me. When we gather together and we come forward for communion, it is an act of trusting in God again. Even when evidence is to the contrary, even when it feels that I don't think, even when it feels like God doesn't love us when the world is so rough, it is an act of trust to say, God, I believe you love me. I believe you want what is right for this world. I will trust in you. I will trust in you.